the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise You're listening to 66.6 FM Radio TOVH The Flush Well, hey there, everybody. It's me, Joe Thrashenkill. You're listening to another thrilling episode of the Toilet Hell Radio Show. We're joined today by the good and golden boy, the internet sweetheart. You know him. You love him. He's 365 days of horror. As we like to call him, Jordan. Jordan, how are you? I am good. You may say I am mad good because Halloween is just a few days away. Uh, what is it? When, when does the show come out? It's like four more days till Halloween. Yeah. All the kids' heads will turn into like worms and shit. It'll be good. Uh, we're we're joined by a guest on this one. Um, we have uh, someone I, I've been uh, a fan of since seeing I think Dark War Two in a brewery in Austin when I still lived in Austin. Uh, we have the one and only uh, Tim Faust. Uh, Hi, Tim, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. I feel very spooky. Uh, I'm so stoked to have you here. Uh, as mentioned, uh, you're you're one of the uh, f- fountainheads of Party World Wrestling, uh, a thing that we have actually talked about on this show quite a bit over the years. Uh, but that's, yeah. that's not all. Uh, your your other notable works, I think, uh, for fans of this show, it it really fits in pretty pretty well. Uh, you're also the author of a little book called Health Justice Now that came out a few years ago. Uh, really, really tremendous work that spoke to me, uh, particularly someone that was kind of confused as to how all of this stuff was supposed to work. (laughs) Like we realized that we have, uh, a system that is not good, but what, what is the alternative? And that kind of elucidated a lot of things to me that, uh, has helped me picture a world that is slightly better than our own. (laughs) I'm I'm glad. I mean, the whole thing is totally arbitrary and mostly fake, and uh, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's intentionally hard to understand, but no one's making it easier. No, <laughs> uh, absolutely not. So, um, you know, when when uh, I I'm talking with my fellow nurses and we're saying like this fucking sucks, this is bullshit, and I hate uh, all of our patients for this reason. It's like, well, it's not necessarily that we hate the patients. It's more like we hate these systems that are built up specifically to put us all into this impossible situation. Yeah, Um, everyone's gotten fucked over. Exactly. Um, And also, uh, I I saw a a piece that you wrote recently um, in uh, New, uh, that would be NU with the the umlauts on top, uh, Deadspin uh, Defector, uh, in which you described a pretty uh, a pretty interesting process. Would you mind telling our folks out there a little bit about it? Yeah, about a month and a half ago, I gave my kidney to a friend uh, via surgery. I didn't just yank it out, and so <laughs> I wrote about um, like how one does that, like what the process is. There's like uh, giving a kidney is honestly a pretty chill process. Like I would do it again tomorrow if I could. It was pretty low impact in my life, honestly. And so I wanted to explain kind of what, how do you go from zero to surgery? What are the effects afterward? What's the impact on your life? In an attempt to, uh, you know, encourage folks to consider getting screened. Um, there's like a, a hundred thousand folks that need a kidney and there's 6,000 live donations a year. And then like, you know, 20 something thousand uh, donations from deceased donors. Um, and, but live kidneys 
like work decades longer than kidneys from dead people. And so anybody who can give a kidney who does like really makes like a tremendous, like immeasurably uh, uh, helpful impact in somebody's life. And it's, it's, it's pretty chill. So I read this piece and what kind of blew me away. I was like, Oh, this is something that I should definitely consider is you were back to uh, having a cold Modelo not long afterwards, which I thought would be out of this, out of the, the question here. Oh yeah. I, uh, I got my kidney out September 5th and I went to go see the chameleons um, in downtown LA on September. What was it? Like 22nd or 24th. Like it was a real fast turnaround. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, and as you mentioned, there's also an interesting quirk in how kidneys work, something that we never studied in school, uh, but apparently they keep their own sense of time. Is that it? Yeah. So I gave my kidney to my friend, Laura, and she, you know, went home and recovered and things were going great. But she mentioned to me that she was getting up to pee in the middle of the night, like a lot, a lot more than usual. And she asked her doctor, well, why is that going on? And it turns out the kidney retains the schedule of the donor for a while. I stay up pretty late and I like stay up late and drink beer and do my work or whatever. So I, you know, do most of my uh, bathroom time uh, later at night, which was not Laura's schedule, but my kidney retained that information and it's kind of kept going on Tim time for like a couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh, I you did some research that like it's a, there was a good paper on it that wasn't like a study, but it was like a qualitative like assessment, people collecting stories. And a lot of organ recipients report like having parts of their personality change, their preferences change um, in totally wild ways. Uh, one person um, like got a heart transplant and I don't know how you phrase it, but like their sexual orientation changed, Wow, um, which is totally, totally nuts, right? Yeah. Uh, my friend Laura uh, like now gets disgusted when she tries to eat meat. I'm a pretty committed vegetarian. Uh, it's just crazy stuff like that. There's a lot more of us existing in our organs. We're not just brains operating a robot. Uh, turns out parts of us exist all over the self. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, um, yeah, I, I encourage folks to uh, read that one. Uh, it's number one, a compelling read. Uh, and number two, like uh, I had no idea that it was, you know, that fairly straightforward to give up a kidney. And it's fine. You only need one anyway. You do. I mean, plus it grows back to like almost double size. Uh, you only lose like 30% of your kidney function. And just for context, like you can get down to like the 20s before you have problems. That's not medical advice. Uh, but like <laughs> it's like uh, um, your kidneys don't need to operate at 100% for you to like have a normal life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, one other thing before we dive into all of this, you mentioned that you were looking for some volunteers. Yeah, this is totally out of left field. I'm a healthcare writer and I'm working on a long book project about medical debt. So I'm trying to find folks who have medical debt or whose lives have been affected by medical debt to talk to and just do a couple of interviews. Um, so if you're listening to this and you have or have had like some really fucked up debt situation and you want to talk, um, I don't know if my email will be in the description, but it's my first name and last name, Tim.Faust, F-A-U-S-T at Gmail. I'd love to talk to you whatever time you got to get a feel for uh you know what your situation is and it's a story we want to we want to tell together absolutely uh folks out there if you got medical debt tim's the man to talk to please do that uh this is i guess ostensibly 
on its face somehow uh, a podcast that is more or less about heavy metal. Are you also a heavy metal pervert? Is that oh a yeah, thing that you- yeah absolutely. I was listening to Woe's new album basically all day today. Nice, nice. What uh, what got you into heavy metal back in the day? Oh, um, I know exactly what it was. It was two things. One is that my first job was working at a haunted house, and two was uh, I grew up in a really small like town in like Wisconsin, and I did like a community theater production one summer. It was Les Mis. And the guy that played Javert was like one of the cool kids from a nearby school. His name was Rob Huff. He had uh, not Liberty Spikes, but like the like when you have like the four spikes draped over the forehead or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he liked to smoke and he liked to cradle of filth. And so I'd go sit in his car with him while he smoked weed and he'd play Cradle of Filth. He had like their dual album, um, uh, Lovecraft and Witch Hearts or whatever. And I thought, damn, this shit rocks. And so I bought that album. From there, I got into Slayer. From there, I got like into Blind Guardian. I have like a big power metal phase, obviously, <laughs> as like a dorky teenager in, in, uh, in the middle of nowhere. And then like between that and various internet forums I was on, it's kind of like piecemealed here and there, like things I found like at the record shop. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always been, uh, I think, the genre I, I, I returned to. I had a radio show in Houston on KTRU in 2014, which became like a de facto like rush hour um metal hour it was uh, a lot of fun it was really really fun getting to go through the stacks talk to local bands um i don't know like i i feel like the most inventive genres of music are metal and rap um like if you want to see what's happening that's like cutting edge in music uh you either go somewhere extreme where you see what's happening in rap production and uh i just love it i uh, i i if it's loud and painful to hear i want to hear it as much as i can uh that's boy that's that's kind of the uh, the strategy for life i would say mm-hmm. <laughs> jordan would you say that you feel kind of uh, similar is that been your your tack on this whole the entire way through uh it depends on the day <laughs> i mean well you're, you're typically you're the you're the sad boy metal kind of guy like uh you, you you like your catatonias and such right i have feelings joe let me express them I don't understand. I don't even understand a little bit. I just yeah, it, d- it depends on the day of the week. Sometimes it's that, and sometimes it's, you know, your melodic death metals, and sometimes it's you having a bad day at work and you want to rip someone's face off, so you play Cannibal Corpse. And sometimes you just want to listen to some ska and pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Distasteful. Absolutely distasteful. <laughs> um. For the purpose of the October Spectacular series we've been doing, we've had a guest on every single week so that we could talk about one specific movie uh, that is appropriate for the time on the calendar. Uh, Tim, what did you pick this time? I picked Mad God uh, by Phil Tippett. Uh, Phil Tippett is, I think, the guy that did the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, and he worked on a stop-motion movie for 30-something years. Um, not by himself. He had like a, a, a crew, but it's this insanely like detailed piece of it's an hour and a half long, all stop motion, incredibly nasty, just a bad vibe. But the craft is like as a technical achievement, it's 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 amazing. Like you watch this and you go, holy shit, like to think about one guy in like a basement for 30 years putting this together. It's like, damn, I should work harder. Uh, really, 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 really impressive film. And like, again, a real bad time. Yeah, um, let's. I guess we should go ahead and get that out of the way. This is not necessarily uh, any kind of conventional horror film, but it is one of the most horrific movies I think I've ever seen. Uh, I, I I remember hearing about this one uh, coming out, and I was so excited to see it, but I had been putting it off and putting it off, putting off, waiting for a special occasion uh, to do this. And I, I guess this show is a special enough occasion. 
I was just sitting there for an hour and a half with my mouth completely open, like, oh my God, <laughs> this is this is fucking insane. I um, had a beer in my hand and like I didn't want to drink it. I just felt so <laughs> uncomfortable. I was like, damn, this thing's getting warm, but I can't like I can't imagine swallowing something right now. I just ah uh, feel so yucky. Great. This uh, I would definitely put in the pantheon of incredible visual, uh, in incredible visual achievements, art movies for people that aren't necessarily into art up there with say like the Holy Mountain. This is uh, something that you, you don't have to be like, uh, you don't need a MFA to appreciate, but also to get completely hopelessly lost into it. Uh, or if, you know, you were ever like 10 years old and you uh, saw the the video for Sober by Tool uh, at midnight and it, uh, it just captivated you like it did me. <laughs> um, but Jordan, uh, let's go ahead and put this out there. You're 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 a little bit uh, a harder sell with art. What what did you think about this one? Uh, I think when we were discussing this offline, I sent you a screenshot from The Simpsons where Homer is watching Twin Peaks, where he says, "Brilliant." I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> So that was kind of my reaction to it, like incredible work, incredible detail. So much went into this and it's super weird, like still understandable. But even so, you get lost at a lot of points where you're just like, I have no idea what's happening. And for me, like I knew nothing about this movie. All I knew was the name Mad God and just like the picture of the guy with the gas mask. Mm -hmm. So I assumed it was going to be some sort of like monster world war one or two siege movie something like that going on uh and it was not um but still like visually interesting and appealing the music uh very interesting and appealing um i think it takes a certain type of movie and entertainment fan to Real really sicko. To, to to really appreciate what they're trying to go for i'm sure a lot of people who went into this like just watching it off of shutter were turned off by like there's no dialogue in this movie um i you would never know that the main character of this movie is named the assassin if you hadn't looked it up that is true uh oddly, oddly enough now that you mentioned that this was a shutter original and i think that joe bob briggs like the last drive-in guy did a presentation of this as well which is just about that's that's a very odd pairing i i, I want to see the uh the recording of that now um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's more along the lines of an art movie than a horror movie is what we're trying to say here. But again, I would say the first 40 minutes of this movie particularly, or maybe has contained some of the most horrific images I've ever seen in a film. Um, again, starting from absolutely the beginning, <laughs> you can see the tower of Babel, uh, which is, uh, you know, as we all know from, uh, our biblical studies, uh, God saying, no, don't, don't text your friends. Uh, and then, you know, uh, casting everybody aside uh, and then getting, uh, hit with even more, um, old school, uh, Testament ship with, uh, with this bit from Leviticus. Uh, Tim, what did you think about this very beginning stage? Like before you see any of the action, what, what this movie is trying to tell you? It's ominous as shit, dude. Like it's, uh, <laughs> It's a uh, Leviticus, I think something in 21, like it's, it's basically like the old Testament God saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to make everything as bad as possible. 
Um, I'm going it's to the, like, it's the Wu Tang bit. Like I'm going to get uh, fucking uh, I'll fucking smash your nuts in a drawer. I'll fucking yeah yeah. The actual um, the, I, the actual quote there is like, if you disobey me and remain hostile to me, I will act against you in wrathful hostility. I, for my part, will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your cult places and cut down your incense stands. I will heap your carcasses upon your lifeless idols. I will spurn you. I will lay your cities in ruin and make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not savor your pleasing odors. I will make the land desolate so that your enemies who settle it shall be appalled by it. And you, I will scatter among the nations and I will unsheath the sword against you. Your land shall become a desolation and your cities a ruin. Sounds like lingua ignota lyrics. (laughs) Um, Real, um, I think this is my problem with uh, contemporary Christianity, that it doesn't embrace enough just this absolutely insane rhetoric. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... uh sometimes you gotta you gotta step back to really appreciate some of the totally nutso stuff that goes on in like the bible you know like whatever don't gotta be a believer it's like one of the foundational pieces of literature like in the world and there's a lot of completely insane things that happen that we just kind of like kind of get swept aside when uh when it's contextualized in like i don't know modern christianity or whatever but yeah there's some real angry shit going on in there and it sets the same like you you don't know why this world exists. so i guess the the movie like revolves around this idea of this guy descending into hell right he's going down in a little like diving bell and you just watch him walk around on a quest he's trying to blow something up and you just kind of witness the horror and depravity of the world around him and kind of the context that like you know god smote the people for building the tower of babylon and here's what remains here's the world they built for themselves afterward is like it's it's sad it's scary it is there there are moments that in addition to you know being horrified by they're deeply affecting uh in, in one small little moment you see uh one of the many worker drones a little hair man a man made of hair who just out of out of any everything that you've seen before it where everything is a hopeless automaton being struck down by the world that it lives in it attempts to make a connection with the assassin itself and the assassin ignores him while he's soon just completely destroyed by his, I guess, foreman at the factory. <laughs> it's, it's, it's terribly sad to watch and it, it settles into like the abs abject depravity of the, of the sequences you see unfold before you. And I think a, a distinct thing that separates this from like, just like pure nihilism or you know shock porn or whatever is that it's very clear that phil tippett or whomever like doesn't like this right Right. this this is like theater of cruelty he is juxtaposing this against the idea like the total absence of any form of kindness or any form of humanity or decency is like it creates an empty space you know that we that, that we recognize um like uh this is not like a fuck everything everything's useless you know abandon it all burn it all down like this, this is, there's something more there. Like this, this, this is a contrast against our sensibilities and the things we care about. This is not just some, you know, teenager going nuts and making the grossest thing he can. But yes, I, I, we should definitely clarify that. Although there are moments that feel like it was a teenager making the grossest thing oh, he could. He is going nuts and it, <laughs> it is like, he is making the grossest thing he can, but it's, it, but it comes from a place that I think is more interesting than just like pure, like shock and horror. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Jordan, do you have a particular favorite, I don't know, visual moment from this early part, these early parts of the film? Um, I think the, uh, you know, uh, assassin just descending down. I mean, we start the movie with the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. So we have the going up towards the heaven and then the rest of the movie is going down. Yeah. Um, you know, descending into man's folly and destruction of the world and uncaring death and, and all that. Um, one of the ones that stuck out to me was the creepy baby babbling voice over the loudspeakers. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Lots of unsettling child noises in this one. You're just the screens everywhere of these mindless workers doing what they need to do and then being killed as you hear a baby squealing and babbling instructions to them. Like, very obvious messaging, but it was still unsettling. Very, very much so. Um all right, Tim, did you have a favorite little uh, visual segment in this first uh, descent into hell? Yeah, uh, the one that stuck with me for the past year when I first saw it, and then again when I watched it recently, is the assassins like walking through hell, and there's these giant like immortal creatures that are strapped to electric chairs, oh, fuck, just getting yeah. just getting fried perpetually, and their excrement is just falling out of them in waves nonstop. And it goes down to like fuel a machine like a, you're, you're watching the a, a power source, which is like the torture of these immortal giants. Um, and just like the sounds are sound of that's amazing. The shaking of the body, the like they really focus on the whole like shit part of it. There's a lot of like, um, I don't know, the corporophilia or whatever going on. Um, it's just it's real nasty, real visceral. But it's like that image of like these giants being tortured forever. Uh, was real haunting to me. Absolutely. Um, there is a brief segment where it feels like the the assassin opens a door that he was not supposed to open, and he sees what appears to be some kind of monkey just being like in the midst of being tortured and trying to make some kind of motion for help towards the assassin. And again, like why the why the ape is being tortured, none of it makes any sense it's just another cycle of cruelty that again uh the assassin just closes the door and avoids continues moving on his path yeah that made me pet my dog i uh, i yeah. saw that and i was like damn i gotta pet my dog and give give an animal some love right now <laughs> i i also had just very briefly uh in, in in the background if you if you don't look closely you'll miss it you see the diving bell that uh, the assassin descended to just slowly go back up behind him and just made my stomach sink just like thinking like oh you're in the shit there is no escape from this um, yeah you, you can you yes absolutely you can feel it. this guy like this is this is where you go man like you're stuck in this here's here's the journey you you are dante now you you've you've descended keep going uh man just everything it's it's so it's so spooky it's it's cool um the assassin on his descent into hell um he has a map that is just rapidly shedding pieces um he seems to follow along fairly well but where it's clear that there's no return uh as a matter of fact like he might not even get to where he's going because of the, the age of the map itself uh but he follows and follows along uh, through through these these ver various uh, places. Uh, the excrement of the old gods feeding into a machine that forms these hair and lint workers 
that are just slaughtered by the industrial machinery and, and carelessness of everything around them as they're making something. We don't know exactly to what purpose their labor is for. Um, escaping this and, and then eventually being um, uh, captured himself. Uh, the the uh, At about 40 minutes in, the assassin himself is essentially no more. Uh, Tim, would you mind describing like what the fate of our assassin is? Yeah. So our assassin, so he has a suitcase that has a bomb in it, right? Right, right. And uh, it's got a bunch of dynamite and he finds a room full of piles of suitcases. It's not clear whether this has happened before, what the other suitcases are, whatever. Puts the suitcase down and sets the sets the timer and then gets snacked up by like this weird, grotesque, spider-isk thing and is pulled away and the bomb ticks down, ticks down, ticks down and gets stuck at the one second mark. It like catches. And he's taken to, it's really cool, like, um, it opens to like a, he's silhouetted behind a screen, um, a red curtain pulls up, and it's like a mystery science theater kind of thing. You see the silhouettes of what are very obviously people uh, watching a dissection in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a medical theater. And so he's stripped, you can't see this, it's all silhouette, but he's, he's stripped, um, he's injected with stuff uh, by some faceless shadowy goons. And then uh, comes to like the audience laughs and claps, and then you jump to kind of this like cubicle arrangement in hell, where it's like it's like, it's like a hospital basically, where every room is some sort of like heinous thing going on. And it's he's Ho- Hollywood squares of like medical torture. Yes, it's 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 a uh, not not for me. Uh, he's wrapped up like in a mummy style garb. He's got one bulging red eye poking out, looking around. You can see that he's terrified. Uh, there's a cool bit where like. That there's a clock in the room, and the clock makes a very unsettling, like spurringy noise as the second hand ticks, and it slows down. You can kind of feel the time dilation of like how scared this guy is. And um, a doctor and a nurse walk in and cut him open and just begin yanking stuff out. And at first, it's blood and guts, you know, he's being disemboweled basically, and then it's coins, and then it's books, just like all kinds of like weird stuff being pulled out of him. The sound design here is top-notch. It was really nasty. And again, this clock is ticking in the background, making this terrifying going noise. And then they pull out this like living thing that makes baby noises, like cries like a baby, but it's like a long furry tube with a big human mouth at the end, um, which becomes the like, we transition from following the assassin to following this thing that's carried through the rest of hell. Uh, but the whole scene is like shot like in, there's, it's like very yellow. It's got like that yellow like um is it what is that like sodium lighting or whatever like yeah, very yeah. very very oppressing lots of red like things are being squished everywhere there's like an intermission where the doctor drills a hole into the assassin's brain and we watch uh you could say the prologue to the movie uh, on tv you can see um what's what exists on top of this place and why he went down and some of the adventures he went on to get there uh but yeah it's like a, it's like a big transition point uh, for the first half, we watched the assassin walk through hell. There's an intermission of seeing like the prologue, and then we follow this baby thing as it's carried through uh, the rest of this place. Jordan, what do you what did you think about these uh, this scene here, where essentially we're we're watching the end of the first half of the film? As we're watching the vivisection of this, I guess you can call him our hero. <laughs> I, I guess it's just more of. Um, 
our avatar, the viewer's avatar for what's going on in this world. Um, it was pretty striking with uh, pulling out like jewelry and coins and then pages from a book. It's heavy symbolism going on, uh, particularly in this part. Um, I did think it was an interesting way of kind of explaining why things are happening by drilling into his brain and turning on a television. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was pretty clever storytelling for, again, a movie that has no dialogue in it. So it's a good way to go back and explain things in the movie's own weird way of doing it. Um, and I guess at this point, I, I, I don't know why I, I had grown really attached to our little avatar guy. I was like, no, you can't do this to him. <laughs> It's, I can't believe that they're cut like completely cutting the life out of this guy, even though we've watched it happen to countless other little characters within the film. Uh, I guess I got oddly attached to this one. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, it, it kind of it pulls you, right? Like, you yeah. have this little protagonist, he's on a little quest, and I don't know, we're all kind of conditioned to believe that nothing bad really happens to the protagonist. He always sure. makes it out, not here. It's it, uh, it totally yanks you away, and you have to watch him suffer and we assume die. Yeah, I, I guess we have to assume, although, you know, things don't follow necessarily any kind of any kind of logic here. Um, and it's it's worth noting that, you know, these surgeons just digging through so careless, so, you know, annoyed at digging through organs and viscera and gold coins and teeth and pages of books. But they're overjoyed to find uh, essentially like a hairy eraser head baby. That's that's what really they were after this entire time. The nurse, yeah, uh, takes this to just this industrial storage shed that opens and this haunting floating being with horrible long claws takes it in its like calmly floating hands and moves away. And, you know, you don't have to be like a movie watching expert to think like this is probably a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that guy, uh, the the claws guy, has insane drip. The outfit is incredible. For um, sure, he's got like, he's got like a um, not a not a witch doctor, uh, plague doctor. A, thank plague you, doctor, plague, yeah. plague doctor mask, um, and then a big black hat. And dangling from the hat are all kinds of just a mishmash of religious symbol uh, symbols. Um, they make a big clanky, beady noise. Uh, it's, it's almost a, uh, coated like a. It's it's a a carousel or like a mobile for a child around the big brim of his hat, just made of bones and various other like religious viscera. Yeah. Uh, super sick. <laughs> uh, and so again, this is where we leave and we follow uh, the, I don't know. What, what is, what is the thing? <laughs> what is the thing that takes the baby? Do we have a name for that one? He feels like he has an authority role in hell. Like as he far does. as like there is a structure here. Um, you watch how he interacts with the world around him and clearly like this guy or whatever, like has some position of which he's in charge of some things because he is never threatened by the world. The world bends around him to make him safe. So like that implies that this world isn't just pure chaos and anarchy sure. and hell. Like there is some sort of order here. Um, and the order at, as far as we can tell ends with him. Yes, Absolutely. Um, if we can uh, go back slightly to the the scene that the surgeon sees when boring a hole through in the, the assassin's head, the prologue. Watching the assassin pilot various tr- junky vehicles he finds on the side of the road is, was extremely pleasing to me. 
Uh, first, seeing this little stop motion guy kickstart a uh, a motorcycle and ride it around for a while, and then eventually fix up an old Jeep to ride it through the most narrow enclaves of a uh, reverse ziggurat, I guess is what I would call it. Extremely pleasing to me. I don't know. I don't know how you guys felt about that. Yeah, I liked. Uh, I liked watching him drive around. He also drives through what appears to be, I mean, all but a nuclear war. Um, there's tanks, there's big mushroom clouds, and he's just kind of like putting along in, in, in his little Jeep, you know, dodging gunfire, just kind of, you know, by, there but for the grace of God, making it through. And that scene is very colorful in ways that the rest of the movie isn't. Yes. Um, and it's very, not peaceful, but like, there's not a lot of things happening. There's not, not a lot of things moving, not, not a lot of little parts. You just see distant explosions and occasionally a tank. It's chaotic and it's scary, but like, it's not like... Not a lot of movement going on. This this big scene with this little car driving through, which I think gives it some some resonance that uh, makes it contrast to the rest of the movie that, that I thought was neat. I, I agree with you. Um, so again, just our little guy with his arm hanging out the uh, the windshield, like watching endless nuclear explosions in the distance. Uh, I don't know. I, it was a, a strange, like serene sense of the chaos. I I, I really appreciated. Um, I think it's around this point that we encounter what is supposed to be the other protagonist of the film, depending on how you want to take a look at it. I don't know. Uh, what, what exactly was this, Tim? Which guy are you referring to specifically? I'm I'm referring to the uh, horrible uh, snarf looking guy or the uh, uh, the guy from um, God. What is it? The, the Smurfs. The, Gargamel? The, the, Gargamel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gar- so there's this uh, like the, like the alchemist type guy. Yeah. 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 So there's a figure who appears super like deformed tumors, growths all over his face, appears humanoid, um, but super disfigured. And um, we kind of get like a uh, we get like this little interlude. I don't know, maybe 10 minutes long of this guy's day to day. You know, he wakes up, he walks over, he tortures some giant apes uh, that are fighting each other. Jesus, I, for, I forgot sort of about shit. that, by the way. Yeah. That was horrific. It's like you watch these apes fight and it's like, damn, these guys are going at it. They're fighting each other. It's You kind of are watching this, this little clash of the beasts. And this guy walks up and has a little control panel and just turns on this horrifying and like very prolonged electric chair sequence where these guys that are like brawling are like just like totally destroyed by an electric helmet. And uh, then he turns it off and tells them to go back to work and they get back in another fight. But it's just like, just like it's very quotidian cruelty. You can tell yeah. like just by the virtue of the fact that this, this panel is there, that, like this guy's accustomed to doing this. He walks around, he goes home, opens up what's kind of like an aquarium and drops some food in. And these super bright, like fluorescently colored, like, like fish walk out, fish-ish humanoids, you know, even though they have feet. And, uh, you know, they have fun eating their little maggots together. And he pushes two more buttons and these giant spider guys come out and yank one of the one of the little cute fishies and, and pull them away while his friend watches. Um, that, just making that it was truly awful. Truly, that was true. Truly horrible to watch. I was watching this with my roommate and his girlfriend, and she was like, oh, this is so cute. Like when they when the fish first appeared and I was like, ah, they got you because here's what's going to happen next. And of course, they, it's a uh, it's brutal. Like no kindness can exist in this place. But it gets across the point that this alchemist guy, like, um, for whatever reason, also was in a position where he can inflict a pain upon others, and it's like boring and daily and routine to him. He enjoys it, but like, it's 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 like it's just what he does. He lives in a house that reminds me of um, 
what is it, J.F. Swanson's house in Blade Runner, uh, a bunch of like heads, um, all affixed that have eyeballs that are moving, but like are very clearly like trapped in place. Um, it's a, a, it's just the guy. He's not. He seems like a jerk. Uh, I wouldn't do uh, what what he was doing. And the uh, scary plague doctor guy brings the screaming racer head baby to him, and they put it in a contraption like a vice, and then smush it and uh, turn him into gold, which is why I'm thinking of an alchemist. He he turns baby into gold. Um, and then Generally speaking, like, not a good idea to put a baby in a contraption. So. I if, if <laughs> there are very few contraptions that are meant for, meant for babies to be in. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Jordan, what what did you think of the alchemist there? Uh, it's, I guess, kind of almost like the leader of this world. I felt like like he's the one in charge, even though uh, you know there are other malevolent beings and larger things are going on. It seems to be like he's the one pulling the levers and making things happen. Um, we do want to mention that like there is one actual like person in this movie like an actor that is true well uh, there's also the like the nurse the nurse is a real person yeah well uh so like when we go back finding out where the assassin came from it's i it was explained to me as reading it the last person on earth oh right 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 which i wouldn't necessarily have gotten unless I, i looked it up but we go back into like the real above world from where the assassin had descended. And um, there's one person left with like horrible, gross nails, fingernails and toenails uh, seemingly in charge of, it looked like fascist soldiers that were working for him. Is that what they were going for? Oh, it was Um, super Nazi. There was a lot of like fascist stuff going on. And uh, he's like up in his tower and he has witches working for him making these maps that the assassin used it looked like they were sewing human skin it did uh, very necronomicony yeah telling these assassins where to go when you find out that it wasn't just one assassin there's just hundreds of this same gas mask doughboy helmet wearing beings that he's sending down to blow up the underworld and it seems like so far to this point that lots of have been down there and lots have left their uh, explosive suitcase and none have actually done anything. It's and just it's, kind of. He's like, he's trying to destroy the underworld, but after these assassins are caught and they're cut up and these babies are taken out of them, they are, the babies are being turned into gold, which creates more life, more universe. So it's kind of destruction leading into creation cycle over and over again. Interesting point. I did not even think about that. Yeah, that's true. Every, Cause every, supposedly every one of these uh, little assassins contains a screaming eraser head baby that can be turned uh, into, like, if you put it into the contraption, uh, it can be turned into what they do. Uh, they take this pile of gold that was once a baby and spring a whole new universe out of it. You see, in an incredibly visually stunning segment, basically the creation of the universe out of the gold dust that was once a baby. Um, everything from just a flash of life to formation of planets to paramecium to 
the Tower of Babel itself being raised up in the form of financial skyscrapers. <laughs> yeah, death creates life, creates death, creates life, on and on and on forever. If you guys have seen The Red Shoes, um, which is the opposite kind of movie from this one, uh, I would like personally to me that creation sequence was as impactful as like the big visual sequence in the red shoes, which you, if you haven't seen, I insist you do. I have not. I have to I have to add that one to the official non-Halloween playlist now. I I'll, I, I don't want to spoil it, but I'll say like the, it's like a 1940s or whatever, like drama about people in a theater. It's like, why am I watching this? If that's not, like, if that's not your thing, um, it's like, oh, the actress loves the writer, blah, 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 blah. And then like in the middle, something completely extraordinary happens i will tell you no more than that but like uh it's much much more than the beginning of the movie makes it seem like it is all right duly noted because I, I don't know based on that description alone i'm intrigued i just uh i don't i loved the the creation sequence so much um out of and you know ultimately you know you see all of this life formed to be doomed because you see it get you know blowed up real good again uh, it is vaguely life-affirming in a way, which I think is what you were kind of hinting at earlier, uh, Tim, and that this is not a solely nihilistic film. It's not just to show images of horror over and over again for no reason. It's There is something in the form of hope and the form of new creation, even if it is ultimately doomed to fail over and over again. There is something there with the act of creation itself. And at the end is ambiguous, because I, I maybe this is different different than uh, what, what you interpreted, but at the very, very end, um, life is created, we see this whole cycle happen over and over again, but then it pans back to the assassin's suitcase, and it appears to be to get unstuck at the very end, a, a cuckoo clock uh, comes out, which to me indicates like a difference in the world that we just saw. Um, that's just my interpretation. It's of course super abstract and hard to know what's going on, but uh, I took a little bit of forward momentum out of this, which um, I found narratively satisfying. Maybe I'm just superimposing that on, on, on what I saw, but it appeared to be like not just a continuation of this endless cycle of torment. So in some way, someone did something right and they escaped samsara, but uh, we don't know how they did it. We don't know what it was, but uh, one of these little faceless assassin guys managed to escape the wheel of torment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What, what what did you take away from the, the end of it there, Jordan? Uh, I was thinking maybe more of like no, nothing really changed. This is just another form of one world ending and just something new beginning. Maybe this specific world was ended by this explosion. But from what, you know, we're learning about this cycle that's been going on with the assassins and the babies and the creation, it's open enough where this could just create a whole new world, a whole new cycle, something else, you know, destruction leads to life, leads to destruction, leads to life. This is just another form of that cycle in some other way. Overall, like it, it leads to, um, broader questions, especially from a religious sense. And I, I mean, based on the title itself, Mad God, and based on the very beginning of the film, which is overtly, you know, Old Testament, I think you kind of have to take uh, some form of this to mean religious intent. Uh, but it seems like every doomed character here is cursed with the original sin and that they uh, they can get no solace, no relief from any of it. Um, the idea that uh, you know, universes after universes being born, all of suffering the same horrific fate, and then having 
a sudden change at the end, one of these boxes going off, kind of offering the opportunity for something new, not necessarily something better, but something new and something different. You could make the interpretation that the beginning of the movie starts with Old Testament stories Mm -hmm. and the change is what comes after is the New Testament. Uh, Yeah, you could. I, something tells me that Phil Tippett is probably not like a big religion, like a, a big church going guy, though, in terms of like uh, the this actual answer was Jesus. <laughs> One thing I liked that was a little bit ad Buster-Z, but I used to read out of Buster's 10 years Same. ago, so it's fine, um, was when the like black spooky plague doctor guy is walking around, he walks through a room that's giant, like the scale is much, much larger than him, like on the same scale as like the titans that are being eternally tortured and shocked and it's full of religious statues like there's a statue of uh i think jesus one of krishna one of like just a bunch of like religious stat character statues that are giant 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 um kind of littering this room as well as one of the pigs you see outside restaurants um like like the pig chef yes uh, is, is is put next to you know krishna which i thought was very funny you know that's a little bit like ah, oh, it's capitalism um but it was also a good visual gag which is so jarring <laughs> given how like unfunny like intentionally the rest of the movie is no i take that back the movie does have some like funny parts like it's it's really well timed but like it, it was a joke that didn't have like an immediate like disgusting like mean payoff it was just this like icon of this like restaurant pig um there with no comment uh among this uh these these various gods uh, one of the other uh, bits I noticed uh, near the beginning of the film uh, when, uh, you know, the assassin is exploring the ruins of one of the outer forms of hell uh, is uh, a decrepit Robbie the robot uh, hanging out. One of the the robot from, uh, God, what was the, Jordan, what was the 1960s uh, sp- space it's, thing? Fuck. Uh, that's Space Quest? Is the fucking Lost thing in space? Lost in space. Lost that's in space. Thing. Fuck. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. That's it. That fucking that fucking guy was hanging out. His you know corpse or whatever was hanging out among various things being tortured. That's fucking sick. Um, so I, I read that Tippett got the idea uh, to work on this movie while working on RoboCop two, and I I'm, I assume you guys have both seen RoboCop two, right? I've only seen the first. I've seen I the ha- second one. I highly recommend seeing the second one uh, because it's not as good as the first one by any, any shot. But uh, Phil Tippett's segments here in which Omnicorp attempts to build new versions of RoboCop, uh, and these are all his creations, the, the things that they make, are horrified by their own existence. They do things like ripping off their own face, like shooting themselves in the head because they can't stand what that they exist it is so jarringly horrific in the middle of what is otherwise a very goofy, goofy movie. <laughs> That's so sick. Yeah, I got to see that. Uh, highly, highly recommend that. So, uh, yeah, he started working on this movie and apparently he quit working on it because he was like, ah, oh, CGI is the future. Fuck this. I guess I'll just quit doing it. Uh, and it really is uh, kind of just a wonderful, impossible thing that this movie got made uh, after against all odds after all these years. Um, so I don't know. I'm super stoked that it exists. I plan on making everybody in my life watch it. And uh, that includes all of you people listening. Uh, you're, you you have to watch the shit now. Do it. It's, it's good. I promise you. I, I know that our descriptions seem a little off, but you have to experience it on your own. 
It's it, the, I read a bunch of the reviews after I saw it, mm-hmm. and the one critique it got regularly, or not regularly, it was like generally really well regarded, was like the plotlessness or whatever. Yeah. Which I would say like there is a plot, it's just very abstract, and honestly, this, this is more of like a vibe piece than it is sure. like a, a bang 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 narrative. If you want to enter a world that makes you feel bad and gross and uncomfortable for an hour and a half, like this is how you do that. That's what that's what this is about. And honestly, is, like for a bunch of greasy metal losers, like that should not be a hard sell. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's that's an average thing for you. Um, so it, I I will say I also looked at, at reviews after this, and I was stricken and enraged by how many idiots on Letterbox are like it's boring, and then to which I say, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> I uh, I haven't checked Letterbox yet. I guess my my Letterbox review is. This is what happens when you don't have OSHA. Um, That's true. Because so much of the movie is like little worker things getting destroyed <laughs> by their jobs. Um, but no, I would give this thing a solid four stars. Likewise, likewise. Um, yeah, uh, I, again, uh, Phil Tippett, I, I don't know. You you mentioned this to me, Jordan, that you, you felt like parts of it were analogous with another film from the 90s. So overall, like the movie is very visually impressive. So much work went into this by so many people over so many years. Uh, as far as like the story itself, I, while watching, it did remind me of two other media things. The first one was don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Hell yeah, brother. Specifically throughout the movie, I think it's Keenan Ivory Wayans will pop up in the scene and say message. Because that's kind of how I felt while watching. It's like, oh, yes, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying here. I know what you're going for here. It is very obvious. It I, is. Um, I ahead. get what you're saying, especially with like the like just the constant industrial murder of like these workers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's not to say the movie isn't very abstract, too. Mm-hmm. There is a lot that can be interpreted. But there are some points where it's like, yes, I understand what you were doing. Thank you. And uh, the other thing that I was reminded of, do you remember the cartoon The Critic? Hell yeah. Yeah. There was uh, one episode where he shows his student film, uh, Prometheus, where it's black and white and it's, you know, abstract like this. And there's a scene where he's sitting in his underwear playing with those like electric cars where he just held on to the button. It went around in a circle and he goes so alone, so alone. (laughs) And uh, I think the final scene is, is supposed to be his bride comes back and opens the door and says, Oh no, Prometheus. And he's hanging by himself and he whispers <laughs> to her, it's Prometheus. <laughs> so that's just kind of like, there's a little bit of a, a college art movie generally to like what the story is for me, just the, just the messaging of it. I think that that that's fair to that. But I will also say that most of my tastes were formed watching like uh stoner art things in college. So this was catnip to me, dude. <laughs> Are you familiar with everything is terrible? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I have like the complete DVD series. Have you, so you've seen their uh, Holy Mountain remake? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, I watched that before I watched Holy Mountain. Oh, and no. I Holy Mountain. <laughs> no. It, like, then I went back and watched it. Again. I was like, oh, shit, this makes sense. But uh, I guess for the, for the listener, Everything is Terrible is a found footage collective based out of L.A. They, you've seen them before, probably on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. They, they're really prolific. They do this thing for, I don't know, 15 years. They take old VHS tapes from like, you know, like um, old infomercials or Christian channel TV or children's television shows or like old stand-up comedy routines. 
and pull out the best slash worst parts and splice them together. And usually they put up a lot of clips. Oh, here's a clip of, I don't know, uh, Sinbad talking about the Iraq war or whatever, right? Um, but they did, they, did, they did a couple of movie projects where they like would splice these clips together and try to build like a narrative arc or like a thematic arc over the course of 90 minutes. And like they, they pull it off. It's insane. I used to show the first Everything is Terrible to every woman I dated in 2012. Um, <laughs> like that was like if the date went well, I'd take them to watch Everything is Terrible. Um, but they, they made a one called Doggy Woggy Poochie Woochies, which is a very silly name. But it's a beat for beat remake of Holy Mountain using only footage of dogs. And they pull it off and it's nuts. Um, I it's that is so fucking great that that's what you saw before the actual film itself. I love that so much. <laughs> um, um big fan of uh, everything is terrible. Also, like I've gotten so many horrible flashbacks from like uh, re- watching a clip that they put up. It's like, Oh, I, I actually saw Gerbert, the Christian puppet, like when I was a kid that you're reusing. So this is fucked. This yes. is so fucked. I've blacked out laughing. I think two or three times in my life. And one was at one of their live shows. Um, they just played a montage of photos from uh, like a magician on a cruise, taking photos with his fans and for whatever reason, in that moment, it is it was the funniest thing I've seen in my entire life. And I like like I don't recall what happened for like the subsequent 10 minutes. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so, yeah, we can't give enough of a ring endorsement. To everything is terrible. Um, all right. We should probably close this up pretty quick. Uh, Jordan, is there anything that you want to add your thoughts on on this year? Uh, I think people should definitely watch this movie with some expectation of i think now that you've listened to us describe it knowing what you're in for just so like you don't get disappointed because it's not what you were expecting um i think it's real creative a real testament to like actual artwork and hard work and really seeing your dream your vision come to fruition so many years later um if you haven't achieved your dreams yet give it 30 years and maybe it'll actually happen Here's hoping. And um, also gas masks are really cool and should be in every movie. They are pretty sweet. We gotta we gotta be clear about that. Um, Tim, people should yeah. email you if they have medical debt and they want to tell you about it, right? Yes. I'm working on a, a book project about medical debt. This is like a just trying to find folks that want to talk about it and kind of see if that's a story you want told by me, how that works out. So I'm just trying to reach out to people wherever I can. So if you have medical debt or have someone you love that does that wants to talk about it send me an email, tim.faust at gmail.com. Um, and let's uh, have a conversation. If folks are otherwise interested in following your continued exploits, how should they do that? Yes, I am on Twitter, uh, unfortunately. I guess they call it X now, but it's still Twitter to me, uh, at Krulge, C-R-U-L-G-E. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a word I made up. Um, and uh, I've been writing for Defector recently. Um, uh, Good website. New- Oh, I love it. It's like one of the good, it's one of the few good websites left. Um, I did a piece about pro wrestlers and healthcare costs earlier in the year. Just did the one about kidney donation. I'm working on um, an idea for a third. I've got some stuff in the, in the oven, but uh, that's where I'm writing these days. I also have a newsletter, um, which is on my Twitter profile, which is all like health policy and health finance and um, things that I think are interesting. I I would agree. Uh, Folks, uh, you should follow all of those things. Tim, I really appreciate you taking the time out of the day to talk to you. This has been a real pleasure in my life, actually getting to speak with Timmy Quivers. 
Yeah, that man. I uh, I wore one of the suits that I wore for Timmy Quivers to a, a party uh, yesterday that I threw for Halloween. Two days ago for Halloween, and it was fun to get back in the costume. But uh, uh, Joe and Jordan, thank you guys very much for having me. I really was so happy to get to watch this movie again um, and show it to uh, my, my my roommate. Uh, man, what a what a hell of a Halloween movie! <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, we want to wish a happy Halloween to you all. Uh, try to avoid industrial accidents. All right. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.
You're listening to 66.6 FM. Radio TOVH. The Flush.